Is the doggy ready to do this? The doggy is drugged out of his little doggy mind. Yeah. <laughs> Too much melatonin. Sorry, buddy. It was not on purpose. Of course, the moment we start to get into a good conversation, he's going to find a big steal. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. But hello, Owlets. Hi, Owlets. I'm PB. I'm CJ. And we're Gagahooligans. And we're on book five. Yeah, book five, The Shattering, the right? The Shattering. Tell me, do you remember anything about The Shattering? Um, I remember that there's Eglantine content. I remember that it's a book that finally focuses in on her. And, shoot, I always try to derail us with an opening bit. Do your bit. But I, I don't have anything ready, and I can't think of any immediate Miles Minutes. Well, you're right. It is almost entirely about Eglantine. All right, fine. We'll just plow right ahead. Yeah, that, yeah. that's not a bit, but, like, you're right. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's something about Eglantine getting brainwashed. I don't remember by what or who. Probably pure ones, but I don't remember how that would ever happen. It's, honestly, it, it's pretty dark. Yeah? Um, this might be... The darkest book yet, not so much for violence, but in in everyday violence. You know, this is a book of violence that people are more likely to can encounter in their everyday lives, and that's what made it so terrifying. Yeah, I think this was both my favorite and my least favorite book. Um, favorite because it is very focused. Right, we have a main character who is truly the main character, which didn't really happen last book. Yeah, like, yeah. Eggy, we're going to focus on Eggy and pretty much just Eggy 95% of the way through. Um, but also we're going to deal with torture and gaslighting and um, cussing, stealing, bullying, ostracizing. I kept a list. Poisoning. Um, just the whole list. I mean, the cussing sounds fun. I mean, it's owl cussing. We do that anyway. But but yeah, so content warnings, Um, just in case you weren't aware from all of the rest of these books. Yeah, we're, we're going to deal with some mental health stuff today, because that's what Eglantine's dealing with. All right. So with that prompt. Yes. Do you remember anything else? Um, let's see. So we just survived our siege. We survived our siege. Uh, pretty narrowly. Everybody mm -hmm. literally starved. Yep, yep, last minute pincer movement yep. to drive the pier ones away, but they'll be back. And we discovered that Dewlap was the traitor feeding information out, uh -huh. uh, but we've yet to deal with that problem. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would guess that Dewlap gets outcast, but I have no memory there. Well, I have some stuff written down about that, and that is where we start the book off, is with... Also, oh, I, I think book seven is the outcast, so, you know... But, but, so, okay, so this, we should tackle this before we move on to. Book seven 
while it is book seven, is also kind of book one of another character's series. Oh, I, I know, I know, I know. Okay. Yeah, seven and eight kind of go with a different character, and then I think nine comes back and brings them to the Gahul tree. All together, like that, that. that sounds right. But we are kind of on the penultimate mainline book series. Yeah, this was the original goal, was finish the original six books and then yeah. see where we want to go from there. So do we get to watch the movie after the sixth book then? Is it one more book and then movie? Yeah, we'll have to see what we want to do with that with like the SAG strike. I know it probably won't apply to us, but I know some other pods on the network have been taking yeah. breaks from Hollywood films. Um, so I don't know, maybe there's a stage adaptation? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, no. Sorry, you need to retake that. For what? You said, oh, God. Oh, clocks. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> Would you like some owl vocab? Yes, yes. Great. Let's start with the title. Just uh, just the title. The yeah. shattering. What is shattering? Um, it is just when your brain completely breaks. It is like full... Um... We already have a word for that. It's yeep. So how is shattering different from yeep? Um, shattering is more of a spiritual break rather than like a, like actual mental health, like body seizes up. It's more like your spirit is dead inside or like you're in a constant state of dissociation. That is probably most accurate. Yeah. Mo disassociation is the right uh -huh. word. In fact, it's I like, have, I have a passage I want to read later. That is just, if you've ever experienced disassociation, Eglantine's gonna get there. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember there are, like, some comparisons with, like, seeing yourself in a shattered mirror or something. Yeah. Does that sound right? So, what we first learn about shattering is that it is, quote, worse than any moon blinking. Right? Moon blinking, your, your brain goes blank, you can't mm -hmm. really think for yourself, you do what you're told, but you're still sort of coherent. You can still be uh, talked to yeah. and respond yeah. Maybe not normally, but you can respond. You kind of become robotic, but you're still able to answer orders and to make conversation at least. Like, right. in the Pelatorium, like, there was no small talk. It was all, like, robotic, weird, you know, Flat. we aren't real people, yeah. small talk. But they were still, like, trying to do small talk. Right. Um, shattering is worse than that. The, the closest, uh, like, as far as I can tell, the human analogy here and part of the reason why I had a hard time thematically with this book is maybe schizophrenia? Yeah, that would kind of fit with like traditional, you know, kind of very tropey depictions of Right, exactly. Exactly. And that's why it was a little I don't know. For for all, I mean, we've talked mental health in these books and how it's not always so delicately handled and it's yeah. very 2000s. Mm -hmm. This one was maybe a bit better handled because you're seeing it from Eglantine's point of view. So you're trying to experience it with the experiencee. Uh, but yeah, shattering can cause you to hallucinate believe in delusions, uh, it, it breaks your sense of reality. Yeah, yeah. Pretty awful. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do in this book with shattering? Well, I know that Eglantine eventually gets sh shattered. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but I don't remember anything that leads up to that. Like, 
Well, so naturally, once we have a shattered owlet, what we're going to do is gaslight them and use their state of mental well-being to destroy them and the Kahul tree. Yeah, yeah. Makes perfect sense. So, um, you said you had more of owl cap. Are we going to hit that later, or do you want to hit that now? Up to you. Actually, all three of our vocab words appear within the first about 15 pages. <laughs> um, and only the shattering remains, like, super important. And that's that's one that we just need to have a hold on for the uh -huh. sake of this book, is shattering. Sure, let's do the other two owl vocabs. Okay. Wilfing. W-I-L-F-I-N-G. Wilfing. All right, that is... Uh, so you got a high branch and a low branch, and you're kind of lazily hanging on a high branch. Then, you're, then you let yourself just kind of flop over. You put your wings out, and you just kind of float down like a uh, lazy leaf down to the lower branch. You are thinking far too happy. I thought I already explained that this book is miserable, and we're going to gaslight mentally broken owls. Well, yeah, but that, that's what I would make Wilfin be. You're a very positive person. I don't know. I didn't have to read this book, so I'm in a better mood. <laughs> Uh, well, I did, and Wilfing is plumage, drooping and flattening in fear and agitation. Oh, we get this yeah. descriptor multiple times. Yeah, it's just shrinking away. Uh, yeah, but now there's a word for it because it happens so uh -huh. often. And I guess if you're doing that with your feathers, that would be different than just, like, doing it with your body. I see it. But their body is feathers. They're owls. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right, how about one happy word? Happy-ish word? Normal word. Uh-huh. Tweener. That's when you're not, not quite... to be confused with wieners. Don't even go there. No, I heard the twee. Uh, tweener is when you're not, like, a full adult owl, but you're definitely not an owl anymore. I wish they had a word for that, but I haven't found one yet. You know, when you're, like, a tween of, uh, weeks old? I feel I like it would be world. branchlet. No, because that would still be an owlet. But yeah, no, like a, tweener. Like a tweener could fly on their own, but they still don't like really know how to hunt or anything. Sure, Soren in book two. Yeah, yeah. Or like any owl for the first few weeks after they've been kicked out by their parents. Well, you're entirely wrong, but I do like it. Uh, just one more comparison is a baby crow I have seen just following like a uh, millipede around with it, holding its mouth open and, and <laughs> really confused why the millipede won't crawl into its mouth. Hey, hop in here. I'm hungry. This yeah, is how no. it works when mom and dad are around. It does have to do with food. A tweener is a vole that is big enough to be a good, like, full-size snack, maybe too big to be a snack, but not quite big enough to be a meal all, all on its own. It's just the evening meal. You went way too deep into this. There's I a think lot I of... like your, your explanation better, though. But tweener, yeah, so that's the mid, the... Evening meal. All right, so right when we're starting our night. Yes, yes. Like breakfast? Mm-hmm. But we can't call it breakfast, even though we are still breaking yeah. fast. Yeah, they're still breaking their fast. But no, it's tweener. Uh-huh. What are the other meals called? Do we get have that here? Oh, jeez, you know, I think we have, because I swear I've read for the morning meal, break light? Break light sounds exactly right, yeah. I think it's break light. Uh -huh. I know I've read it. I would have to go back and read it again, <laughs> you know, for a third time. Yeah, yeah. How many times did I read that book? If CJ got it wrong, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. 
All right, back to the sad stuff. Back to the sad stuff. So you know Doolap? Yeah, yeah, it's time for her to go, right? Well, would you like to give me a list of all Doolap's crimes? Um, uh, let's see, Doolap's crimes. One, being a bad flyer, which is apparently a crime <laughs> in this world. No, that's just an indicator of being a bad owl. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, two, uh, being a strict teacher. Uh, that's kind of listed as one of her virtues, question mark? Yeah, yeah, I know. Of, like, she cares for the tree, at least, and that's, like, the one thing in the world she gives a fleck about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Wanting to ban books. Uh, that is on her list of crimes. In fact, destroying books. We You're find right. out in these early chapters that uh, Dulap just straight up wrecked pretty much any information on Flex. Most importantly, the one she fought with Utlissa about in the yeah, last book. Yeah. Flecasia and other disorders of the gizzard. Uh huh. Which I'm sure will have nothing to do with Eglantine's situation. Wrong. <laughs> uh, let's see. What are Dulap's other crimes? You're missing uh, the big obvious. Well, one. yeah, there's. Of course, there is, uh, treason. Treason, kind of a big deal, you know. Treason to the tree. Treason. Yeah, you spell it to ease. <laughs> but there is one more crime that we didn't know about until this book. Um. I'll give you a hint. She's the one who pecked Ezelred's eye out. <laughs> that would be really dark. Uh, I'll give you a hint, though. Dewlap is now, out of guilt and agitation, Wasting away, which is weird, because all of the other owls already wasted away. Yeah, gluttony. That's a sin. But uh -huh. yes, hoarding food. Uh, as everybody else was starving, Dulap had her <laughs> own private cache of yes. milk berries that she was hoarding away and not sharing. Yeah, well, let's see. She's got gluttony. She's got pride. Uh, she does not have sloth. I'll give her that. No sloth. No sloth. Uh, um... Lust really isn't in these books. Yeah, no lust. Uh, eh, probably envy, to some extent. Yeah, I'll grant you that. Uh, Wrath was showed off with Odalissa, uh -huh. so she's got five of seven. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, knowing, knowing all of those crimes, right? Treason, uh -huh. hoarding, and destructive censorship, what should happen to Dulap? Death. That's extreme for you. I don't know. I'm just taking wild swings today. <laughs> so this is this is the conversation we no, no, start no. the book off on. I feel like exile is probably fair. Like, for the the other ones are like more forgivable, but the treason is like treason in wartime, especially as like one of the leaders of the tree. I feel like you do, you don't get to be at the tree anymore. Um. So you're correct. The death penalty doesn't really seem to exist, at least at the tree, because, uh -huh. you know, we're the good guys and we have yeah, to be... Yeah. I know in the U.S. during World War II and in some places even now, uh, you would just die, right? Uh -huh. That There would just be the death penalty. You would just be dead. Um, and I, I think that is also true for the U.K. in World War II, yeah, that's where this is largely based off of. I feel like that is relatively common in, like extreme war times that the penalty for treason, at least on paper, is death. Right. So, when we start off this book... Especially, like, high treason, you know? 
Right. Right, right, right. Um, Otalissa's kind of arguing that Dulap should be, like, very strictly punished. Severely punished. And it's kind of, like, implicit that Otalissa thinks that this lady should die. Okay, maybe she doesn't need to die. Maybe she doesn't need to be exiled. Maybe she can just be DNF. Yeah, so, okay, so the the internal argument of the books is that that is even worse. Yeah, I know. Because but, that's what happens. Really? Not... I was saying that as, like, kind of a dark <laughs> joke of, like, oh, this yeah, she just needs This book is a some, dark joke. She just needs some laughter therapy. Oh, God. It is so dark since I've read the book. Oh, no. Clocks. <laughs> okay, so through no punishment whatsoever... Of the tree. Yeah. Um, like, nobody makes this happen. Dulap's just kind of broken. Yeah, yeah. She's not really gonna fly again. <laughs> ever. Um, we don't see her until the end of the book. We are told repeatedly that she is in no condition to do anything. That, like, she'll feed herself, but pretty much mm-hmm. nothing else. Um, and when we do finally see her... Her feathers are a different color. Her eyes are a different color. She's... And what's weird about this and why I'm bringing it up, we are told explicitly she is not shattered. So I don't know what they call that. They call it heartbroken later, but like, Mm -hmm. what is it really, you know? Yeah, yeah. She's punished herself more than the tree could punish her. So yeah, that's sort of how they put it. We can come and relitigate this next episode since you said that's the end of the book. Well, it, I bring it up now because it is thematically important, right? We have this traitor, we have this criminal who is mentally, emotionally, spiritually gone for all intents and purposes. And that's about to happen again, right? This is maybe a background foil, but it is a direct foil for Eglantine. Uh-huh. So what we do for Dulap, uh-huh. to Dulap, in this book, matters yeah. for how we view Eglantine later. But yes, in within the world of the Gahula tree, banishment is the worst possible fate. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're not going to decide what to do with her in the first half of this book. We're only going to go to page 90 today. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've got to rebuild the tree before her, and she's in no place to continue to mess up are rebuilding our plans to strike back or anything so literally there's nothing that this lady could do about it anymore she's she is basically dead without being dead mm-hmm. and i want i want to keep her on the back burner of our minds when we go back to this in the next episode yes um we also have another new character important new character um she moves in with primrose and eglantine I do not remember this, but I'm sure it has to do with Eglantine's shattering. What's this new character's name? Ginger. All right. And uh, is she, perchance, a barn owl? Oh, 100%. Ooh. Uh, In fact, not only is she a barn owl, we know that she was a pure one, and she's supposedly a turn feather. Ah, yes, yes. Um, And very young. Which is why they sort of allow it, and they're trying to retrain her. Uh-huh. She's got some uncouth mannerisms. Yeah, they already rescued a bunch of racist babies and have been recuperating them. So why not, you know, 
a racist baby who flew at you with battle claws and attacked you and now wants to live with you. I mean, stranger things can happen. It sounds like that is not what happens here, but you know. See, no, but this is exactly why this book sits in an uncomfortable space for me. Is the argument that we should never forgive or take in our enemies? Uh Uh-huh. Because, yeah, Ginger's evil, and that's obvious from page five. Uh Uh-huh. Right? What's the argument here? I don't know. I mean, maybe don't put a prisoner of war right with one of your most vulnerable outlets who has been through more trauma than even the rest of the tree? Maybe? I don't know. That maybe that's not the first step to recuperate her, especially without, like, a lot of supervision from people who are maybe a little less malleable. Actually, now that you bring that up, it is surprising that there's not a true adult. (laughs) I mean, I guess Primrose is a full-blown guardian at this point. Uh, Eglantine is not yet, and that Uh is important. That's a source of bullying. Oh, yeah, that's a sore spot for Eggy. Very, very much so. Um, She's beginning to feel sort of excluded from her brother's doings as they go to rebuild the tree. Soren actually doesn't appear a whole lot in this book. Yeah. They they let her be on the council, but they will not give her the title of master. (gasps) Okay, Anakin. (laughs) I mean, that's what's happening here, right? I guess so. But only if, like, Anakin Skywalker was being... Super duper manipulated. He was! He also killed children. Well, yeah. Eglantine didn't, so she wins. Yeah, but you're telling me that the story of Anakin Skywalker is not a story of someone being a vulnerable person being manipulated into further and further darkness? Okay, but she's Anakin Skywalker if she remains Anakin Skywalker in the end, you know? Have you seen the end of episode (laughs) six? I'm defeated by Star Wars analogy. Oh, no. (sighs) Anyway, you want to read about bullying? Sure. In fact, would you like to read about torture? Well. (laughs) Okay. For a penny. So we were talking about Ginger, who, yeah, we're talking about Ginger. Ginger is the emperor, right? Whispering in the ear. um, And she's kind of got... Eggy doing these just high school level yarped pellets nonsense. Um, you know, having private conversations off to the side and excluding Primrose all the time. And we have chapters from Primrose's point of view that I took personally. So Eglantine is being the bully here, even though she's the one in the well, I guess because she's the one she's who being feels blighted. egged on. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ginger is, um, uh, can I cuss? I'll bleep it out. Ginger is a bitch. What's the owl equivalent for that? Do we have a good owl word for that yet? Ginger is a wet pooping raccoon? Um. Like, what's worse than rack drops and oh. sprink? What was the word that you were so happy last episode that started with an F? Frink. Yeah. She's a frinkin' sprinkin' wet poopin' rack dropping. Oh, here we go, here we go. She's a frinking skink. Skink? Uh, did you just make that one up? Well, skink is a lizard. And it sounds like skank. 
Oh, that's true. Anyway, that's Ginger. Uh, and yeah. she's egging Eglantine on. And just just into stupid high school sh- You know? Oh, I said it again. <laughs> <laughs> just into stupid high school rack drops. They are... See, um, we do have an eloquent there. You have no excuse. See, that's true. Yeah, they're cussing at the table and have to be reminded by the table not to cuss at the table. And the uh, table isn't Miss P? Of course it's Miss P. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, to the point where, like, the, the conversation is so rude and so obviously exclusionary that Miss Plithover allows wet poop jokes at her table to change the tone of the conversation. Uh-huh. It's that bad. You're just thinking about Miss Plithover being a table, huh? No, no, it's okay. I'm used to it by now. We're we're back to that. Why, why do the owls need tables, though? Actually, let let it. Let's go back to this, though. <laughs> All right. Thinking about how owls eat. Why do they need tables? Like, like, let's think this through. How are they not actively injuring their table by leaning down and tearing into food with their beaks? Step one. A lot of owls, especially with smaller things, you know, especially insects or whatever, down at one gulp. Done. Do remember that everything at the Guardians of Cahool Tree is um baked, cooked, barbecued. Oh, it is. There are barbecued bat wings. Okay. Yeah. Um. Second, I guess if everything is being cooked and prepared, then we're not gonna have as much like blood and guts around. But how do the snakes clean themselves out afterwards? Because that's gotta be nasty, right? And third, how wide can a snake get exactly? Like how is like. Are we just sitting in one line on one side of the snake, or are we sitting across from each other on the snakes? I'm imagining, like, four owls across the back of a snake, you know? Like, on, on either side, facing each other. Yeah, but, but like, we where's do room know. for... There's not room for two different people's meals. Oh, there's definitely not. Miss and Beast. yet we are told repeatedly that Miss Plithifer, uh it extends herself specifically to include Primrose. Uh-huh. Who's being pushed out of her own seating spot. Yeah, yeah. Even the table is a part of the bullying. Well, the table is trying to prevent the bullying. <laughs> it would be nice to have a table on your side. Yeah, yeah. You know what? If it's just there to help maintain social dynamics with a bunch of rowdy youngsters, then yeah, maybe okay, snake tables makes more sense. So after we get all of these scenes of just personal casual bullying, right? The kind uh-huh. of stuff every single person can relate to out there of... My best friend is no longer paying attention to me, and I don't understand why. I don't know. Did I do something? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Right? That kind of confusion. Then we get this scene, and I have to read you this scene and watch your face as I do it. Okay. You know, podcasts are a famous visual medium, so. (laughs) Soren's beak dropped open in utter horror as he peered through the slim, white branches of the birch tree. Never in his life had he seen anything as revolting as the scene beneath him. Keep in mind, this boy went to St. Aggie's. An owl had just pounced upon a mouse, after having made a deep gash in its back, exposing the spine, the mouse not yet dead but still mewling in agony. The owl had proceeded to tickle the dying creature with a blade of grass, all while singing a little song. And then, most shocking of all, Soren recognized his own sister, Eglantine. 
who seemed frozen in rapt attention, watching as her friend Ginger sang, tickling, and playing with what she would soon eat. Now you're telling me you can't play with your own food. This little psychopath is basically skinning a cat. You want to know uh -huh. the number one thing police look for when they're, they know there's a serial killer coming up? It's dead pets. It's uh -huh. dead animals. This child? Uh-uh. On the other hand, this is perfectly normal cat behavior. They're not cats! I know, but I'm saying, like, in some animal worlds, this is fine. Not this one, though. Are you defending the torture of a living creature? <laughs> do mine ears no. deceive me? No, this is a horrible thing to do. This is totally, uh, freaked up. And, Thank you. Uh, wh what else was I supposed to say? I don't know, something funny? That's what I was trying to do! And you said, <laughs> no, that's terrible, you can't do that. Look, we just escalated from bullying to torture. Uh-huh. And Eglantine did nothing about it. Yeah, yeah, uh, grow a backbone, Eglantine. Too soon. Too soon. <sighs> so, obviously, Soren confronts this scene, tells Eglantine, like, get out of here, you're not friends anymore, go back to my hollow, you're living there now. Um, and Ginger says, you're always ordering her around. She doesn't like it. And you never include her. She feels left out. So, red flag number one. If your best friend begins speaking on your behalf, that's a red flag. Sorry, red flag number zero. If your best friend is torturing animals for both of your entertainment, that's, that's a red flag. That's two red flags. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like a uh, infrared flag. And Eglantine goes directly into, Oh, Soren, don't report her. She's been raised by those awful owls, the pure <laughs> ones. They never taught her anything. They were brutes. All of them. All of them, except this one, who we just caught, torturing her food. She's not a brute. Don't report her. What? Uh-huh. It's also like, you know, uh, you do still have to come down on that behavior if you're ever going to help hope that she changes. You're going to have to have some sort of consequence there. And they don't. There's not a single consequence for this. They don't even report it. Uh-huh. She should at least get a timeout or something. <laughs> But this does sort of set up... These owls don't really seem to have a space between zero consequences and complete horror shows. It just generally in this universe. Yeah. Like, either you get off scot-free, or uh, you're getting all your flight leathers pucked. Like, why wouldn't she get at least a flint mop for this? Yeah, yeah. I guess if a flint mop is going to hunt mice and stuff and bury pellets at the tree... Um, oh, here's why. You here's don't why. want her hunting anymore. The mice. only person who's in charge of flip mops is currently incapable. Oh no! <laughs> and Sword was like, "Hmm, I give this young owl a flip mop, which means that I have to do it myself, or I let it aside. And I really want to go play with Gilfie in Twilight and <laughs> Digger. So, um, okay, well, let's slide. So, we, as you can probably guess, the first half of this book is just watching Ginger manipulate Eglantine. Does Eglantine ever try to push back on her at all? No. And I guess, like, we've seen so little of Eglantine since she was rescued at the end of book two. Like, she spent a good portion of time being indoctrinated by the Pure Ones, which clearly didn't take too well, but also, like, she doesn't really know what 
Like, she didn't choose to go to the ghoul tree. She was rescued and brought there. Right. And was pretty mentally shattered then. Uh-huh. And then spent a long time in recovery, only to be told, like, oh, yes, by the way, your parents are dead, and your brother's too important now, so he can't just... And also, like, kind of too young, too, to be, like, a parent to you. Oh, and, okay, well, you might find another paternal person here. Oh, but we are under siege, so that's gonna have to wait. Starve to death and wait patiently. Yeah. Uh-huh. So she's just had a rough go of it pretty much the whole time. She had, like, the first half of book three, and that's about it. Yeah. I guess the first half of book four, too, while the band was at St. Aegis, but then she didn't have any of her close friends around other than Primrose. And this is actually, this is exactly where it brings her. Um, she's had such an unstable life that she starts, much like Soren, to dream. Only she has not got Starsight. She you don't thinks know that. She does. She thinks she does, but it becomes obvious pretty quickly. She, this is, that's not what she's dreaming. She's dreaming of her mother. Did that shake any memories loose for you? Um, this is some sort of, like, other mother situation, yeah? That's exactly what it is. We're gonna get into some Coraline other mother territory. So she starts dreaming of her mom, who is, of course, not at all her mom. She becomes convinced her mother is alive and waiting for her in this beautiful hollow near Mirror Lakes in the Beaks. I mean, we never saw no body. Do you remember Mirror Lakes in the Beaks? I, yeah, yeah, I remember. It was where, uh... Twilight convinced all of us how beautiful he was. And how we should all stay here forever and never, ever leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. the place she's dreaming about. Yeah, that sounds like a paradise. Go live there. Soren does have a star sight dream in here, also about the beaks. Mm-hmm. He dreams about a bunch of papers flying away into the beaks. Do we have any books on Flex left to be stolen, or did Dulap destroy all of them? Dulap destroyed all of them? Except the one she threw at Utlissa. Oh. Yeah. Which yeah. fell into the ocean, floated away, and was found by the band in this book. Oh, I see. I see. So they find this book on Flex. It is mostly ruined, and they're finding, like, pages at a time. <laughs> um, and it has to be repaired and yada, yada, yada. But that's what Soren's doing this whole time. Um, Soren knows how to repair books? As a rib does. As a rib is our librarian, and oh, librarians yeah. know everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's Soren's mentor, so yes, that makes sense that Soren would learn some book repair. Yeah, hold on to that too for next episode. Mentor, father figure. Mm-hmm. So sweet. Daddy. Daddy. <laughs> I can't say the word daddy seriously. Daddy has a rib. <laughs> no. No, he's more of a grunkle sort of situation. Grunkle. That's, that's it exactly. He's a grunkle stan. Just like. Just like Grimble was a grumble, grunkle. Remember Grimble? Grimble was a, yeah, I see it. Grimble was a grunkle. So, Ginger, through repeated nudging of, yeah, Glentine, you have the star sight, definitely. If you saw it, it's real and we should go, convinces Eglantine to go fly off to the beaks. Yep. Uh, where they find... A beautiful barn owl in a hollow with centipedes. Weren't centipedes Eglantine's favorite? It's because her mother knows everything about her. Yeah, she loved the way that the legs tickled down her throat. Uh, and even sings the centipede song. Oh, the whole centipede song? That comes back? That comes back. We get the whole centipede song. I don't think we talked about that in our first episode. 
originally. Like, we did the first time we recorded this podcast, but I think... Would you like to hear it? It's the only happy part of this book. Yes, please. What gives a wriggle and makes you giggle when you eat them? Whose weensy little feet makes my heart really beat? Why, it's those little creepy crawlies that make me feel so jolly. For the darling centipede, my favorite buggy feed, I've always wanted some more. That's the insect I adore. More than beetles, more than crickets, which at times give me the hiccups. I crave only to feed on a juicy centipede. And I shall be happy forevermore. Rhyming crickets and hiccups is a slant of all slants. <laughs> uh, you know, that doesn't bother me so much as the utter lack of any iambic anything. Well, this is the translation from Owl, so... Valid. You know you know what? Valid. I'll take that. You know, like, you ever read, like, a translation of a poem from a different language and they still try to keep the rhyme scheme, but it's like, you could tell that it is not nearly as good as the original language was? <laughs> I should have read it in a creepy voice because it's all Naira singing this. Mm-hmm. Naira, who is, uh, the pure one who indoctrinated Clodid and is now his mate, yes? Yep, 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 yep. Um, and what... What ensues from here is a little Red Riding Hood. My mother, what big teeth you have. Uh-huh. Only Red Riding Hood never gets the punchline. Yeah, yeah. What, what does she notice about Naira that is different from her memories of her mother, if any? Uh, Mom, you remember the song. Well, of course, my dar- I mean, my dear. Didn't I hear Soren sing it to you enough times? Mom, your face seems so big and white. Well, we do all change a oh, bit. Oh, yeah, dearest. we do have, like, Naira's faces like the moon. Yeah, she's More than gone. every other barn owl. She was literally born on an eclipse. Uh-huh. I guess most barn owls more have, like, a heart-shaped face. Yes, and she's got a moon, specifically moon-shaped uh-huh. moon face. Yeah. But what's that line down your face? Just a scratch, dear. A silly little collision during a storm with a flying branch. That's all. Do we know who gave her that scar? Was that a Strix Scruma scar? That was a Strix Scruma scar. Strix Struma, who I suppose is now a Strix Scruma. <laughs> You're feeling your dark jokes today. Well, I misspoke and then realized it was a perfect pun. But where's Daph? Out hunting with Clud and Soren. But that can't be. Well, why ever not? Soren's at the great tree, the great Gahool tree. Now, Eglantine, we don't tell fibs. It's not a fib, Mom. It's a real place. It's a legend, dearest. That's all. And when your dad gets back, he'll tell you stories of it as, it, as he always does before you go to sleep. Yeah, what, what's the long-term plan here? Straight up, break this girl's sense of reality. Uh-huh. But, like, how are they going to... I guess she's just going to keep saying that her dad and Clud and Soren are off places. They uh, Yes, actually. Because, truly. like, Clud can't come in and pretend to be uh, his, his and her dad because he's got the whole metal beak thing Although we do permanently get a, scarred to his face. We do get a very brief scene of him watching from afar. Uh-huh. Uh, so he, he's, yeah, he's in on this. He fed all of the information to Naira to know how to get Eglantine to be yeah, convinced yeah. that this is, this is uh-huh. real. Yeah, because he, he knows everything from her childhood. And part of it is that she's so lonely, she desperately wants it to be real. Uh-huh. Uh, part of it is the act of gaslighting by multiple people uh-huh. around her. Does Ginger stick with her here? Ginger mysteriously disappears when they enter the hollow. 
And Eglantine cannot remember where or uh-huh. why or what she was doing. And will turn around and say, but Ma, I brought my friend. Where did she go? And her mom will look at her and say, oh dear, what friend? Uh-huh. It's just sickening. Mm-hmm. Um, just complete, yeah. Oh, it's just complete reality break. Yeah. Yeah. Complete uh, mental torture. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is helped by Ginger at the Gahul tree, who shares a roost mm-hmm. with Primrose and Eglantine. And just putting flex all over her roost. Flex all specifically around Eglantine's roost. Exactly, Primrose is yeah. unaffected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so just every time she sleeps. And I don't know if this is canon, but I would guess like Ginger like whispering things to her in her sleep to plant the image of her mother being alive at the beaks. It's and... definitely implied. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eglantine's having whack dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and Primrose does wake up and like tries to wake her up. And Eglantine will say, no, no, I was having the most wonderful dream. Don't wake me up. I was having a great time. All the while, Ginger is saying, I was patting her back to sleep. Did you see? It's just insidious. All right, so... Nyra's got Eglantine in her grip. In her clutches. In her clutches. It's relevant because uh-huh. she's got a clutch. Ooh, she does. She does. She has her first, uh, oh, what does she call it? Congrats, Soren, you're an uncle. Uh, she makes that comment to Eglantine, and it's kind of dark. That's in the second half. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> but she does have a sacred orb. Ooh, we love to have orbs. <laughs> Um, but that's not why she's abducted Eglantine. No, she needs Eglantine to slip gizzle for her. Mm-hmm. To be a new spy at the Gahul tree. Yep. Um, Eglantine is, is flying back and forth, right? She's not been imprisoned. Uh-huh. She's allowed to keep going back and forth because when she gets back to her quote unquote home hollow, uh-huh. uh, Naira sits there and, oh, Darling, tell me about what you read today. Wait, this is a flight you could make in like a less than a. You can go there and back within like a day. Thank you. I had that same thought because it took forever in book two, uh-huh. and I get that we were juvenile owls who didn't know where we were going, and Eglantine uh-huh. is older and does know where she's going, but still. And I guess the beaks was our last stop before we tried to cross the Sea of Hulamir. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess in the summer, it's pretty navigable. Mm-hmm. Still, that's a long flight, and she's going, like, every day. Yes. And I'm sure, I guess people are starting to raise eyebrows at the Google tree. Uh, specifically Primrose. Yeah. Um, who does try to follow. Uh-huh. Because what she sees is, oh, a bunch of pages are missing that we just gathered from this Flacasia book. Oh, yeah. And we need to know about Flax from Higher Magnetics. And there goes Eglantine. She's flying off with them. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? I guess at this point, Eglantine is kind of at a point of unreality where she's not sure which reality is real. I'm just, I'm, I'm sure the answer is just she isn't. But how would she be squaring these two realities she, she's being presented from her life with the tree and her life with her not mother? It sounds like a lot of it, when she's in one place... It's not that she forgets that the other exists. 
she forgets the reality in which it exists. Like, mm -hmm. she knows that the Great Kahul Tree is real, but yes, Soren is there and a guardian and also just out hunting right now. Like, yeah. full 1984 double think, mm -hmm. right? Keeping it all in her mind so yeah. none of it's real. Uh-huh. She's got multiple running versions of reality in her head. You could say that her mind is kind of shattered into pieces. Yep. Yep. So... I do have one more portion that I would love to read, um, because it is, it's honestly one of the most accurate depictions of disassociation yeah. that I've read. And I, like, I've read adult literary books, mm -hmm. but this made more sense to me, if I'm honest. Um, so Primrose tries to follow, um, gets caught. Mm -hmm. Eglantine straight up does not remember. Doesn't remember being followed. Uh -huh. Doesn't remember Primrose being caught or being there at all. Primrose is caught by Naira, to be clear, yeah? Uh, by another pure one, okay. but, but yeah. yes, for all intents and purposes. Eglantine goes back to the tree like everything is normal, barely even remembers having been there, mm -hmm. and is eventually told, oh, it's Primrose, she's gotten herself lost. Eglantine blinked. For just a split second, it was as if she had stepped out of her own body, her own feathers, and was listening to herself. Why did she sound this way? Primrose is my best friend. Why don't I feel anything? Why do I sound so weird? Am I me? Where's me? It was almost as if a stranger inhabited her body. Her gizzard. Gizzard? Did she still have one? She had not felt anything in her gizzard. Not a twinge. In days. Weeks. This should panic her, she realized. But oddly, it did not. Something is wrong. Something is very strange, but why don't I care? All I care about is seeing Mom, and I don't even care that she forgets and calls me darling and not eggy like she used to. Even when the other owls discovered the pages that she herself had torn out of the Higher Magnetics book, Eglantine had felt nothing. Not guilty. Not happy that she had done it, although her mom was happy when she brought them to her. In truth, Eglantine didn't know what happy was anymore. Just as she didn't know what sad was. It was too much trouble, too much energy, to feel anything. That's this book in an eggshell. <laughs> That's all of it. That's the entire book. Uh -huh. That's where we're at. <laughs> yeah. That was a surprisingly good piece of writing to come out of these books. Like, right? Not to knock on the writing of these books too hard. You know, they're writing to a specific audience. But that was like a... That felt like it could have come from an older book, you know? Absolutely. And what a... Like, so Probably... there's clearly a depression analogy there, right? Uh-huh. Um... And I, I'm kind of sad that I didn't read this book as a kid, because mm -hmm. I might have recognized that, uh -huh. you know? But you're right, that is more dissociation than just, like, straight depression, you know? Yeah. Which can come from all sorts of different sources and causes. Where you know in your head, oh yeah, I should be feeling this, I, I should be feeling something. Mm -hmm. I'm not, and I don't even care that I'm not. My body isn't real. Yeah, yeah. So, others, mostly Digger, 
Uh-huh. Thank you, Digger. Empathetic, wonderful Digger. Uh-huh. Have noticed, like, what's wrong with Eglantine? Uh, but much the way humans don't always recognize depression and disassociation in people. Owls have no idea she's mm-hmm. shattered. Yeah, yeah. They're just like, oh, she's acting a little she's weird. She's acting weird. She must be sick. Yeah. I mean, essentially, yeah. Um, this, this awareness of disassociation, mm-hmm. this, like... Is that all I feel anymore? Just softness or roughness of something? I can visit the Dream Hollow as I please, but does it please me? Right, these questions are what lead Eglantine to go back one more time and try and mm-hmm. test the realness. Like, uh-huh. she's now aware that she has broken with reality. Uh-huh. And she is going to try and test which place is real. Mm-hmm. And that's where we leave off in the middle of the book. And you just know everything's about to explode. Yeah, yeah. It's a real, you know, it's almost owl horror. Uh-huh. Yeah, this one is definitely, like, we've had that before with St. Aggies, so it's, I think, like, one of the, you know, genres that this series is comfortable in is young owls getting people continually trying to force them into false realities. Right. That's St. Aggies in a nutshell. And and we've had that phrase before, That's you know, the, what's the, worse than death? The field of racist babies. Um, yeah. And you can even, like, do lap in some of the, like, less utopian parts of the Gahul tree. Feel that way too, you know? Uh, maybe more than the books intended. But, like, like, there's a lot of conformity at the Gahul tree too. There's a Absolutely. lot of celebration of diversity, but it's like... A relatively small box of diversity. It's a very two thousands like. uh-huh. era idea of diversity, and and we're gonna get this outright stated in the back half of the book. But right thematically, and what we've said throughout the past books is that it would be better to die than be a mindless tool. Right. That that's mm-hmm. a thematic claim of these books. Yes. And I mean, given we, that heck, this... we get that as a thesis statement from Grimble, from. From one end, Hortense, right, and right. the other end, Grimble, right. in the first book, right. who, like, put that into action. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to get that word for word later on. Mm-hmm. But I, I take a bit of issue with that, given that this book is about abusing disability, uh-huh. you know? It's better to die um, than be a mindless tool. That, as a theme, when... Mental illness is, is is core here to a traumatized child. Uh-huh. But I guess it's not it's not the fact that she's traumatized that is the issue here. It's the fact that she has been she, that someone is forcing her into a specific uh person that she is not. Right. It it truly it's the abuse is, of everything she's experienced. Uh-huh. That she is again being turned into something that is not an owl. You know. Like, we had Soren thinking about that in the first book. But then, like, absolutely. But then the thematic claim of this book, again, it's better to die. That's what we've been told mm-hmm. repeatedly. But I guess there's a difference between the, uh, we talked about the different forms of death in children's books. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's one to die complacently, die by circumstance. Another to die fighting for yourself. I think it is not... Death is the end goal, but to, uh... To die for freedom? How 2000s is that? To put your life on the line to not be a tool. 
whether that results in your death or whether you do live like Hortense we saw. Yeah. So that's why I both loved and hated this book. Uh I feel like it had some very powerful moments of writing that captured great emotional depth and also, like, argumentatively, Mm -hmm. should Eglantine die? Because of, you know, her, her tool usage should do lap? I don't know. No, but uh, rescuing her from the situation, whether it's herself or others doing so, it's worth risking their lives. Rescuing her could be argued as death, you know? Uh-huh. Death could be a rescue is part of the argument of this series. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of terrible. Anyway, we can get back to this with the second half of this book. In our next episode, yeah? Absolutely. All right. Uh, I have a quick Owl Fact Corner for you. Does it have to do with depressing things like torture and bullying and mental health? No, no. Uh, so, it's bringing us back to monarchy, actually. Remember what species the king and queen of the whole tree are? Uh, snowies, I believe. Yeah, let's have some snowy owl facts. Snowy owl facts! All right, once again, in PB's Owl Fact Corner, two are true, one is false. It's your job to tell me which one. Owl fact number one. Snowy owls are some of the best insulated animals on the earth. Living comfortably at temperatures as low as negative 60 degrees Celsius. Celsius? Uh-huh. Oh, that's really low. Celsius. Oh, let me add a fun PB fact along here. Negative 40 degrees is the same temperature in both Celsius and Fahrenheit, and it's the only temperature that that is true for. Interesting. That one is true. That one's not on the table. Okay, so fun fact about this first one. Yes. I am from a place where there are snowy owls. Yes. So... That's where you're going to ace this. And it does get that cold, so, like, they better be able to withstand that. Owl fact number two. Snowy owls are very comfortable roosting, walking, and running on the ground. In fact, they're not very good at sitting on branches. They're more comfortable standing on the ground. Their talents are a little bit better formed for that. That would make a, some amount of sense. Uh, it's a lot of tundra. So there are trees, but they're very few and very small and probably not very good at holding birds up. Um, and owl fact number three. Young snowy owls, while they mostly have white plumage, they have dark brown bars and spots across that plumage. But as they age, those bars fade to pure white which makes them nearly impossible to spot on, like, a, you know, a fresh snowfield. That could also make sense. I'm thinking of nesting times, because it's not, contrary to popular belief, Alaska's not always snowy, y'all. Um, and there's a lot of shades and colors in the summertime, and it's beautiful. So, like, it would make sense for a young bird to match those colors before the snow hits. Hmm. All right, so you got those three facts that they can live comfortably at negative 60. They can handle temperatures lower than that, but, like, life is normal. That they can, uh, that they like to stand on the ground, and that they're okay, like, walking around, and that they have, uh, dark bars and spots that fade as they get older, so you can kind of tell an owl's age a little bit by how pure white it is. Hmm. Okay, option one is that you altered the degrees, because, like, it does get that cold, but it's not usually that cold, you know? Nothing lives comfortably at that cold. Um, 
Option two is that, like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to be walkers and runners. I'm trying to think of their talent shape. But they also have feathers down their legs. I feel like it would be hard to run that way. Don't they? Burling owls do it. Yeah, but burling owls don't have feathers on their legs. Uh Uh-huh. I think that's also to help them, like, not get gore all over their legs when they're tearing apart. Makes sense. But I'm pretty sure snowies do have some amount of plumage Mm -hmm. down low. Because, again, it gets cold. Um... I'll give you a hint that this one is very specific, but I thought the true answer was neat. Interesting. I'm going to go with number two being false. Because I don't think it makes a lot of sense for a snowy to be running. Um, Number two is true, in fact. They do like to stand on the ground, and that means that they're more comfortable walking and running than maybe some other owl species. Because, like you said, they live in a t- space with tundra, so there's not really trees for them to nest in or roost in most yeah, of the time. Yeah, yeah, Like, they'll like to stand on, like, a little mound, you know, somewhere that's a little bit raised up so they can see further. Um, fact number one is completely true. No surprises there. They've got warm, warm, warm coats. Um, but fact well, number feathers, three... feathers, not coats. Well, yes. A feather coat. Fact number three is only mostly true. There is one part of it that is wrong, which is that they actually have a sexual dimorphism in their uh, uh, lightening of their feathers. The males will fade to pure white as they grow older, while the females will keep their dark bars. And what's interesting is, like, a lot of other animals have a similar thing where they're born with darker fur and then it fades to white, Mm -hmm. but most other animals you don't see, like, a sexual dimorphism there. Huh. So, yeah. There's... That, yeah, that one got me. Um, here, bonus point. Um, what is the main diet of snowy owls? Oh, what it would the... be a lot of arctic hare. Uh, There's like... one animal that they, like, almost primarily live off if they're in places where they can do that. Oh, there would be a ton and of tarm like... again. There would be arctic hare. There would be all manner of shrews and voles and varmints. The answer is lemmings. Lemmings. <laughs> lemmings. Where, like, the presence of snowy owls will, like, you'll just get, like, the perfect, like, predator-prey curves when in a space where it's all snowy owls and lemmings. <laughs> I mean, can you blame them? That's such easy hunting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, yeah, there's an owl fact corner. Ah. Uh, snowy owls are cool. That was a way less depressing way to end the episode. Uh-huh, I know. Bring us back up at the end. <laughs> So, yeah, I think that's it for us today. Thanks to the Moonshot Network for hosting us. Thanks to Morgan Jackson for our music. Thanks to Matthias Lissack for our uh, cover art. You can follow the show on Twitter at Pod or on Tumblr at Pod. I might make a blue sky for it this week. We'll see. Um, Thanks to our listeners for being awesome outlets. Thank you so much. If you have questions or comments, please shoot us an email at gahooliganspod at gmail.com. Do I have that right? Yes, you do. Thanks for hanging with us through some long breaks here. We have had a busy multiple job summer. Yeah, yeah. Lots of life changes here. So I know this episode will be out a couple days later than we hoped. And... I'll stop making promises that everything will be out exactly two weeks after the previous, but we're going to keep trying to keep as consistent as we can. And after we finish book six, we'll probably do a couple fun episodes before getting back to the series. 
Yeah. Because looking at the timing, we're going to have to do a Halloween special. Uh-oh. Which, Coraline is a good option there, but I already had another idea I ran past you that we might have to do. I've already forgotten it. Ooh, really? That's <laughs> exciting. It will not be a book with as many themes as Scoville, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, no, I remember. No, you might be surprised. There's themes in there. Uh-huh. And also, the one hint I'll give is it's told from a dog's perspective. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back in approximately two weeks with part two of The Shattering, where everything will get a lot better. A lot worse. But, yeah, it has to get worse before it gets better. But we'll get through it if we... There's nothing there. I don't, I don't feel it. Do I even, do I even have a gizzard? Well, you better. You gotta listen to it. Journey to distant realms. Explore the furthest reaches of the universe. Survive deadly dangers. Experience matters of the heart. And more in a new actual play podcast. Join me, Audrey. That's right, just me, as I play tabletop games designed for one player. From journaling games to tarot games to even games that take me outside, I'm bringing you along for the ride. Join me for every episode of Alone at the Table.